theory or practice, it's a constant battle when you're teaching. I'm Dr. Joy Patterson, the Director of Educator Preparation at Governor State University and the College of Education. And I'm Dr. Amy Viaquia, Governor State University Assistant Professor of English Teacher Education. In teaching and learning theory versus practice, Dr. Joy and I will duke it out over whether theory or practice wins the match. Yeah, I can't wait. So whether you're a teacher, an education leader, or looking to learn more about the field, you can hear from industry experts on education topics. We invite you to be the judge as we box it out. Stick around to find out who wins this week's match. Good morning, Dr. Joy. Good morning, Dr. Amy. How are you? I'm excited to bring some friends on our show to talk about early childhood and the teacher shortage. So there's a huge teacher shortage in early childhood that we're going to talk about, and not just in the traditional way, because early childhood spans a lot of years. Early childhood spans birth through grade two. It used to be grade three, but now it's up to grade two. So it spans a lot of years and it covers early child teachers who are working in community-based organizations and different agencies, even hospitals, and also public schools. So it spans a lot. So today we're gonna to talk about this great need for early childhood, and we're going to really expand that conversation. So we have some friends and some experts here that's going to help us today. So first I wanna introduce Dr. Katie Hisrich. She is the coordinator of the Early Childhood Program at Governor State University. Dr. Amy Kelly is a colleague who also works in the program. I think they are both magic workers. They are everywhere doing everything and involved in so much at the university. Dr. Hisrich, could you share some information about you? Absolutely. This is my sixth year at Governor State University, and so I've been teaching a variety of courses in the program for six years and been program coordinator for the last couple of years. Uh, we've really grown a lot with our program. We now have an initial licensure program for masters. So for anyone who has a bachelor's degree in something else and want to, uh, they want to come back and be a teacher and get their license, we have a program now for that. And it's hybrid and offered at night or on the weekend. So, you know, it kind of caters to you if you're already working. And there's some opportunities for some job embedded experiences if you're working in the schools or the childcare setting. So we, we've just recently added that. We also have two new certificates. They're 18 hours if you want to get an early childhood SPED approval or if you want to get an early childhood endorsement. If you're like a secondary teacher, or an elementary teacher, and you want to teach birth through second grade, we offer those so you can earn those certificates. And of course, we have our undergraduate bachelor's program, which two of our candidates, former candidates and graduates of our program are on here with us today, Tanya Mathers and Samantha Allen. And... What else about me? Oh, so I also am the chair of the Student Education Association and the Kappa Delta Pi Honor Society. And those leaders and advisors are really involved in the school and the community and just really great leaders in the field of education. 
And that is the whole show. <laughs> she covered it all. No. <laughs> Dr. Amy Kelly, could you share a little bit of information about you and what you do at Governor State University? Sure. So this is my second year at Governor State. Before I came here, I taught nearby for 13 years as everything, everything in, in, in early childhood. So I teach primary literacy methods for our program. I work with the students in the field and student teachers. I'm also involved in the organizations with Dr. Hisrick as well. Not as involved, but. If you're, if you're hanging with Dr. Hisrick, <laughs> you're involved. And I'm sure that Samantha and Tanya. So if you're involved with her, you're extremely involved and you have to be extremely committed. And I will say Sam and Tanya, though, they, yes, they were definitely so dedicated to our organization and they, they actually are the founding members of the ones that built it to where it is like now. So they actually <laughs> had to do a lot more than most students did, but they have, they had so many opportunities to do grants as an undergrad and write and present. They presented with me a couple of times. So they, it's, it was great. It's a great experience for them. Well, let's hear from Samantha and Tanya. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Samantha, you want to start us off? Hi, guys. I'm Samantha Allen. So I graduated from Governor State in 2017 with my bachelor's in early childhood. I did get my teaching license. So I went option one. Right out of graduation, I got my first job teaching first grade in the south suburbs. It was awesome. I taught there for three years. It was an amazing experience. I love the students. I had a great community within the first grade. Just an amazing family feel there. I did end up getting let go right when COVID was going on, which was okay. I just don't think at that point it was a good fit for me. And it was actually a blessing in disguise because then I went into a preschool, which was totally opposite from public school. And I had an amazing year. I taught three-year-olds and it's just been an amazing experience. What about you, Tanya? I also received my bachelor's in early childhood from Governor State, but I did not take the Pell route. I took the non-licensure route, but I still gained the experience that um, Sam did. I worked in early childhood since I was 18, and I did Head Start for about five years, and then I also now work for Little Action for Children, and I... I'm a two-year-old infant toddler PI teacher, so I work with the community, which actually working with SCA, that actually helped a lot because I still kept connections with some of the people that we talk to now, and I love just doing what I'm doing. I love helping people, and I do thank Dr. H and GSU for helping me with that experience. Both just talked about the expansion of early childhood from working birth through grade two and you have different experience. So you find yourself in these community-based organizations like Illinois Actions for Children, and you found yourself in a public school, Samantha. So I'm glad you mentioned the different routes because we do have a licensure route and a non-licensure route. Both routes lead to gateway credentials. So both routes will lead you to gateway two and gateway five credentials, which are required for you to work in those facilities. We're going to talk a little later about your amazing experience that you had, but I want to talk about something that's going on right now, and it's the early childhood shortage, and not in the way that we 
in higher ed typically think about the shortage. Normally, when we see that there's a shortage, we receive our information from the Illinois State Board of Education, and we know how many unfilled positions there are in public schools. But recently, we've come to learn of another shortage, and I'm talking numbers like four to 6,000. And this is a shortage of qualified early childhood teachers. There are individuals in front of children, birth through, let's say, kindergarten, who did not necessarily have the preparation, Sam, that you had or Tanya that you have, and they're responsible for teaching kids. We know how vital those early years are, right? So, I mean, that will set the tone for the rest of their lives. So now, understandably, there is this huge emphasis to get all the teachers that are in front of early childhood kids to a bachelor's degree and to a professional educator's license. And you'll hear us say pale a lot. So when we say pale, <laughs> we're referring to the professional educator license. There's this huge push to get them there. So now that there is this initiative for them to be qualified, not only in these gateway credentials, but also to a degree and to a pale, it creates this four to 6,000 shortage. And that's just in the state of Illinois. That is a large number. So there's a lot of work for us to do. Senator Zayas, one of the senators in Illinois, she is proposing to allow community colleges to offer a bachelor's degree in early childhood and appeal to meet this need. Community colleges, they have a specific role and we have a specific role, which is why we have these wonderful dual degree programs and articulation agreements with community college. And we're concerned about that preparation as well and how well they will do in that preparation. We know that community colleges have an 11% retention rate. So we also don't want those who go into the program to be discouraged along the way and never finish. Our completion rate is much greater than that. And Dr. Hisrich, you've talked about the preparedness of candidates coming from community colleges. Some candidates, when they, you know, transfer to our, to our program, they're, they're really excited about becoming an educator and, you know, really excited about being there and learning. There's some, some difficulties, you know, especially when they get to the content exam, passing that content exam for licensure. There's some other such things such as writing skills and technology skills being at the level ready you know, to enter the courses and the program. So some candidates do have that, have some deficits there. Right. And, and we try, and we have a lot of academic support to meet those deficits. And I know community colleges also have a lot of support, which is why we have these great relationships. But Tanya, you're shaking your head. What are your thoughts? I actually came from a community college and I actually graduated from there. And like Dr. Hitcher said, I was excited to get into the role and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But then the writing part, I'm not the strongest writer, Dr. H can tell you, but Dr. H helped me through that. And I would tell her like, if it wasn't for you and Governor State, the writing center and just all the awesome teachers, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. At the community college, it was help, but it wasn't as strong and it wasn't that one-on-one. -on -one. It was usually like a student and it wasn't actually the professor. So I really do feel like 
governor state and their early childhood program helped me through that. It helped me being able to be where I'm at right now. Right. And like you, Tanya, I started at a community college. I went to Daly Community College for two years, and I think it was wonderful for me to catapult the next level of my life. So I think that it really had its place. Dr. Amy, you've been through the whole gamut. <laughs> you know this field from the community-based organization side through public schools. What's your take on this? We, of course, we, we need early childhood educators, right? And the issue is we want them to be well prepared. And we know that what we're doing at Governor State is preparing them well, right? They're ready to go into the classrooms. They are professionals. I think if we want all of our early childhood educators to obtain a Pell and to to be professionals, then they need to have a program that supports them in doing that. I think there's this misconception that preschool teachers are daycare teachers, we're babysitters. We are not. We are professional educators. We go through a lot of school and a lot of work. As, as I'm sure Sam and Tanya can attest to, we hold our students to very, very high expectations. We're constantly giving them feedback and they're, they're reflecting on their practice just as you do in, in the field. It's, it's hard because I, we know that we, we need the educators, but, but we know that what they need is, is a lot of support. There's this myth. I think a lot of people think that early childhood teachers are babysitters. There's several <laughs> candidates I know, and I'm sure Sam and Tanya had them in their classes that they were like, oh, you know, it's just going to be like this. I just thought I was going to actually like teach and play with the kids a little bit. And I'm, I've had several people over the last five years say that. And I'm like, no, it's a, it's a lot more involved than that. And then they find out it might not be the right program for them. And, that, and that's okay. So they, they change programs, but there's so much involved. Even Tanya said she didn't even go that route to get a license. And it's, it's still a lot of hard work. I mean, it's the same amount of work, just whether you get the, the Pell or not. Talk about the, we've touched on it. We, but what are some misconceptions that straight away you want to dispel about early childhood education? But like it's not a, like a babysitter with that creates fluffy artsy activities. It's not these cutesy things. You know, early childhood educators need to provide meaningful relation, like relationships and experiences for these children. It's this is like the backbone for them, like the foundational part as they continue to grow and continue their schooling. The first three years of a child's life are the most critical. 95% brain development is in that, as we know. So I, I think the idea that early childhood educators just go to go to a center and play with the kids and that's it. Even people outside of this field think that too. Some of my, my own friends have thought that. And I'm like, no, there's so much more involved in that. It's a, such an important time for the child's growth and development that we have to have prepared professionals that work with them and teach them. I saw Tanya and Samantha both shaking your heads like, ah, oh, what have you heard and what do you want to say to people today about the misconceptions? Well, I guess I'll go first since I've been in early childhood daycare settings for like half of my career. I hear a lot of people, even friends and parents say, you're just a professional babysitter. No, I'm not a professional babysitter. Or when COVID wasn't around, we had parents where I had an open door policy where parents were able to come in and they see all the kids. Oh, they're just playing. No, we're not just playing. Right here, we're doing math. We're doing reading. We're doing language. They're playing with Legos. They're able to tell us the colors, the shapes, the size, all that cognitive, social, emotional, all that is together. And you learn that when you're in a 
stable and a very strong early childhood program. The governor said, I like I tell people, I said, I'm able now to turn my classroom into a, a bus stop because of we were able to do that in Dr. H class. We were able to turn our classrooms into things that we're studying. And the kids are not only just learning about the bus stop, they're learning about what to do. So it's just different things that we can see. And, and that really makes me upset when I hear people say, oh, you're just getting paid to play. No, I'm not getting paid to play. I have to do documentations. I have to do lesson plans. I have to sit down and communicate with the parents and the family to be able to connect with those kids in order to make their time in my program a lot stronger. And I think that people see like elementary teachers and the like K-12 schools a little different than maybe the early child care center because they, they see the play. But play is such an important part of early childhood. You know, it's the job of a child. So while it might look like play, it's actually there's a lot of intention behind it. It's very intentional play. They plan it out. It's not just like, oh, OK, let's go go over here and play. No, as the teachers facilitating spe specific learning activities that meet goals and assessments and they incorporate everything in that. And early childhood teachers do assessments. <laughs> they conduct lots of assessments. There's lots of data, obviously, for the program and, and the children. And there's lots of planning. Lesson plans are still involved. <laughs> so I think that sometimes people just don't see the difference maybe between a, a K-12 school teacher, maybe, and then teacher that's in a child care setting. I just want to uh, jump in really quick and say, but also the language development that we have at the young age, like all of that play, we're talking to them, we're giving them vocabulary to use, and we're asking them to use that vocabulary in return. Without all of that play and all of the planning behind it and the vocabulary development, without all of that, they wouldn't be able to read when they get into public school. They won't be able to do their math fast when they get into public school. So we really do set the foundation for those kids. It's not just us sitting down, playing with the ball back and forth. It's us, oh, how did that ball roll? Oh, well, maybe this person doesn't have the words yet, so let's give them the words to say. But this person, they've got a lot of vocabulary, so maybe let's push them to have multi-syllable vocabulary words in their language development. So it's a lot of language development, but also differentiation, because not every student, even at the young age, is on the same level. So you might have a preschooler that can speak just like an adult, but then you also have the kids that have no idea how to speak. Yeah, at three years old. So maybe they have been in daycare, but we are that crucial role. We have to prepare them for that public schooling. We have to prepare them for the academics that our society is so used to. Which is why it's so important to have qualified early childhood teachers, right? So I love Senator Zaya's commitment to elevate early childhood teachers. And in doing so, that you're really, really preparing our students for the next level. So I love her commitment. The only place where we disagree is who should offer the programs, right? So I do really believe that community colleges, they have a role and that we have a role in preparing early childhood teachers. And through that relationship together and our articulation agreements and our dual degree programs, we can serve more teachers and we can attract more teachers because there's also this myth that we don't have relationships with community-based organizations. And we actually have an MOU with Illinois Action for Children. I want you to speak to those relationships that we have, not only with public schools, because we got a lot of agreements with public schools, but also relationships and some new relationships with community-based organizations like Illinois Action for Children, because actually through working with them, 
they help develop the new master's initial licensure program, right? Yes, yes, they did. Uh, a year ago, we actually met and actually Tanya, I believe, was was in that meeting. And we were trying to figure out a, a program that we could create for students who wanted to come back and get their license in early childhood. And we, we figured out, you know, night times, how many, you know, we tried to figure out how long it would take. We decided what time, which day of the week even would be would be good. Now we have this master's program we've created that's usually Tuesday evenings and Saturday mornings, two courses a semester about and it's offered hybrid too. So it's it's at night and then the other half the time it's online asynchronous. Uh, so it really caters to the working individual. And, and, and we've realized Dr. Kelly and Professor Peterson and Dr. McCaffrey who've been teaching us since this program started, started in spring, this past spring was our first semester. We've kind of noticed that having too many courses at once was too much for the candidates. And so instead of pushing it into the 16 to 18 months to graduate and meet those requirements that the state has, because in early childhood, you have to have field experiences in infant, toddler, preschool setting, kindergarten setting, and first and second grade. So there's so many field experiences that they have to actually meet and have many hours in. We realized it was just too much for the candidates in one time when they were working also. So we, we made it so that it's now it's uh, two years and about five semesters to, late to, to graduate. Tanya, thank you, because it was your inquiry that helped develop this program. So thank you for that and getting us started on this path of working with community-based organizations because this is really needed. So when we talk about all these, these 4,000, 6,000 teachers that need to be prepared that you work with every day and you can probably see that and you can probably see the difference in what you've learned versus their background because there's another side to this. We know that it's necessary for our children, for them to be prepared so that they can teach our children. But it's necessary for them too as the teacher because these are some of the lowest wage teachers I know, right, Dr. Kelly? Yes. Should I talk about being a professional again? <laughs> because yes, we are professionals. And and yes, your your wages are, I mean, maybe we're we're thought of as glorified babysitters because that's what we're paid, right? With oftentimes limited benefits and you're not paying into teacher retirement systems if you would be in a, in a public school K-12 setting. So yeah, it, it, if, if we want all of these teachers to go into early childhood, into the preschools and the infant toddler classrooms, then we need to pay them appropriately, right? Make it more attractive for, for us to want to, to go there. So the majority of early childhood teachers have an associate's degree or less, those that are working with early childhood students. How much do they get paid? Does anybody, how do we know the average pay? I'm just going to take a shoot out in the dark because this is my first year. Maybe Tanya has better insights on this. But I want to say that they're getting like between minimum wage and maybe 15 an hour. It's yeah. really not much. Yeah, I think that's accurate. And Tanya, you were there before you finished your degree. How much did you get paid then? And how much did you get paid after receiving your degree and gateway credentials? With my associates, I was getting paid $9 an hour. And with my gateway credential, it bumped up to 1050. After my degree, it bumped up to $12 an hour. So still there's a long way to go. The average pay, and I know Illinois has a commitment 
for teachers with a degree, early childhood teachers, even in community-based organizations with a degree and with a pail, so that their starting salary will be $40,000 if you have a degree and a pail. But with a degree and without a pail, many of those teachers now are making about $30,000, still much lower than a teacher in public school. We have a lot of work, not just in who's offering the program, that's a conversation that we're continuing to have. And I think together we can you re really expand and get these teachers committed. But there's a lot of work to increase the pay, which means we have to increase the value of early childhood teachers, right? Because you should be and you want to earn a minimum of $40,000 when you're starting this work. And I think that will help with retention. You can really grow in early childhood, right? So you can really expand your career in early childhood like Dr. Kelly and Dr. Hizrich have done and like you guys have done yourselves. But there's some barriers that we're finding. So when we're talking about attracting these four to 6,000, how do we attract them? Because these are working adults and we've learned that there's lots of barriers. So what, what are some of the barriers that you've encountered Dr. Kelly and Dr. Hisrich and, and Tanya and Samantha, you can tell us some of your barriers that you had in going to school. And first, I also want to go back to like the whole pay thing. I think there's also looking at it. I mean, I was a kindergarten teacher for seven years and, you know, I, I wanted to pick kind of where I wanted to teach. Right. And what school. But I think there's also needs to look at the setting, because I think there's also a really big shortage of, of teachers, not just in the early childhood setting, especially child care centers, but also like in inner city in urban school districts. So I think that that also is some something that also needs to be addressed as well. Well, in addition to like the pay and attracting more people to, to the teacher position, as well as the mindset that early childhood teachers are important to our society. So some of the barriers I think that some candidates have are time <laughs> is probably the biggest because they have families, they already have a job. So I think just the amount of time to put forth which is why like Sam actually, she took one field experience and methods course a, a semester because of that. Well, I mean, she, she did an amazing job. She also had a full-time job. She just had a baby. She was also the student rep for the state, the state rep, sorry, for IEA and everything. But yeah, I mean, but she got really, she was able to also get involved too with doing that, taking a little bit more time for her education. So I think time is like one of the biggest things. I think another thing could be like the, when the program's offered, make sure it's conducive to like maybe a working individual. Although, some, you know, some people would prefer it during the day because they do have families at night. So it really depends on what job the candidate actually has. Because some, I know some of our candidates work at night or have families at night. And so they'd rather go to school during the day. I think some other barriers also might be that they haven't gone to school for a while. And so they, they might be intimidated or a little apprehensive about that. Skills, writing, you know, technology, anything like that. Let's talk about that for just a moment. And maybe Samantha could speak to this too. What are some academic and professional skills that candidates need to really be successful in your program? So I always go back to the basic skills test or the ACT. I know I don't know if you guys can still choose between those two, but when I went, I could choose between those two. So I just revert back to that. You have to have those basic skills. You have to be able to read and comprehend what you're reading. You have to be able to write with proper grammar, which is very hard for a lot of people because if you've been out of school, you just talk how you talk and no one's correcting your grammar. Maybe your friends and family are if you have good ones. And you're really not writing, honestly. Like a lot of jobs aren't having you write. You just kind of read over something really quick, sign off on it, and then 
there you go. Everything is like tech-based. Or maybe your job isn't tech-based and a lot of education is right now, especially with COVID going on. Like a lot of daycare centers are still doing virtual learning and in-person learning. So it's, it's very intimidating, especially like I think about my parents. Like if my mom wanted to go into education right now, she would be so far out of the loop tech-wise and getting the studying done and all of that. So it, it can be intimidating for someone that's been out of school for a while because they're not used to having to sit down with paper, pen, and a textbook and basically study like they're in school again, like they they were in their younger days. So it, it can be. It can be very intimidating for them. Did you have any barriers? And how did you work through those barriers? I'll just go ahead and jump in on this one. So while I was in school, I was working full time because my parents made too much money for me to qualify for good financial aid. So I had to work full time. And fortunately, I was able to work on campus. So with that, I worked on campus full time. And then I just kind of scattered in classes in between my work schedule and just took one or two courses a semester and just went at it slow paced. And I felt like I learned more going slower because I was able to focus on one or two classes at a time and really absorb in that information and then move on the next semester to two more courses, absorb it, and then move on from there. In the middle of me being at Governor State, I did get pregnant, had a baby, and I got married. <laughs> so there was a lot going on full-time, you know, full-time family too. <laughs> so there was a lot of juggling going on, which is why I completely understand people that are already ingrained in a career, ingrained in their family, and then trying to make a career switch. It's a lot. It really is. You have to have a good support system, which I did have. Fortunately, I had my husband's parents, my parents, plus I'm one of seven kids. So I had a ton of siblings <laughs> to help me. If the passion is there and as teachers, we have to have the passion because even with the 40,000 minimum for public school educators, it's still not enough to raise a family on to, to support a life with. So you have to have the passion because you're not just teaching academics as a teacher, you're teaching social emotional skills, you're teaching them how to cope with real life situations, sometimes trauma, sometimes they've got mental things going on, sometimes they come from a rough background. I mean, there's so many things that a teacher does than just teaching. And when you're looking to get into that and you're hearing all of this because teachers, they're virtual learners now, so are virtual teachers now, so parents are seeing the other side of it. And if you can't understand that and you don't feel like that's for you, then teaching is not going to be for you. And I feel like that's where a lot of adults are kind of straying away because they see the multiple hats we have to wear with a very minimum salary. Yeah, it is, it is a tough job, but it's also a very rewarding job. Tanya, you helped us really, I can't tell you how much your inspiration really helped us with initial professional educator's license for the MA program. Talk about your barriers, but more specifically, what would you want from a program to help eliminate some of those barriers? Well, my barriers going through Governor State, I have an autistic brother and an elderly mother, and I help take care of my family. And at the time, my father was really, really sick. When I first started Governor State, I was excited and then life happened. My father passed away. I had to deal with life. So in tears, crying in class and just 
able to just have to think about it doing these education courses i'm like you know what i can't stop my feelings but i have to focus on my work and it's going to happen when i'm in the classroom real life is going to happen i'm going to have to learn how to separate myself from my situation that's going on and with the kids because kids can feel that they know but then something's wrong with you so you have to be able to separate your life and your work and be able to stay focused and stay on task with the kids so governor stay helped me i went through a lot of counseling i went through a lot of talking to teachers so that helped me and i was working full time when all this has happened, I was like, Sam, I'm taking one course at a time, two courses. I was a whole fan. I'm not taking summer school. Dr. H was like, Mm-mm, you got to do it. You got to get this done. It's going to take you forever. So she was my cheerleader. I'm going to say, you can do it. You can do it. And she pushed me to go above and beyond because she knew my limits and she knew what I can do. I think with the new program, the master's program, I think time, like we were saying earlier, time, we all are working. We all are dealing with the struggles and stress of our job and then being able to come home and deal with the struggle of life in general and that just being able to have time and being able to go at your own pace but know your limits and know how far you can push yourself you don't want to push yourself too far where like i did you have to have your support system not only from your family your friends but even from your school and that's why i tell people i I love Governor State because they helped me through my struggles in my time in life and being able to push me to get where I had to go. We are having a great conversation about early childhood education, the shortage, and what we can do about it. We're talking to Dr. Amy Kelly, Dr. Katie Hisridge, and two fantastic graduates of Governor State University. But I want to tack on what you were talking about, about barriers. And and you were so instrumental, Tanya, in our conversation about the master's level program to get the professional educator license. What would you need to help you enter the MA program now to get your license? What kind of support? What are some obstacles that you would need to overcome? Um, right now, technology because I do virtual learning with two-year-olds and sometimes it doesn't work really well because I don't know how to put up a screen for they can get what they like and also being able what activities, websites and what things that I could do online and with technology that would be able to attract and catch their attention at two-year-olds. We know they only have a certain amount of time, but still within that small little 10, 15 minutes, I'm gonna be able to need that support with technology to be able to help. And also financial support. I still have struggles just because I work for a company. I still do need support with financial needs and aids and loans. Just be able to have that support and the time for classes. Classes for me will work in the evening and saturdays as well because i can sacrifice a saturday or two to be able to go to class so maybe more classes in the evening and even hybrid like you said online online may work for me more because i'm so busy just being able to connect with my teachers as well being able to have that one-on-one because i've always that's how i'm I'm better learning for myself so so you've been a great consultant and Dr. Hisrich and Dr. Kelly have been listening, and you have a very diverse program. Not only do they receive a professional educator's license in early childhood, birth through second grade, 
making them able to work in early childhood agencies. And that can be in a hospital, in a preschool center, in a church, all the way through public schools or private schools. They're also endorsed in special education. And so it helps you meet the needs of those early childhood children that are special needs, as well as ESL. So we know that our bilingual population is growing. It's growing enormously. That is the fastest growing population in our society right now. So it's essential that they know how to work with students of different backgrounds. So they're also endorsed in ESL, which is great. You have freshmen, you have people that are coming from community colleges, actually like 90% of your candidates come from community colleges. And then you have these career changers. You have people with associate's degrees, people who already have a bachelor's degree that want to earn a master's degree. And you have job embedded programs. Can you talk to us about the different programs? This, I think this will wrap it up really nicely. If you can tell us more about your programs and the variety of people that these programs meet. Especially the unique opportunities GSU has created for potential candidates. Yeah, so yeah, the Early Childhood Program offers a, a variety of pathways. Now, we, we do have two undergraduate programs. We have the licensure track, which Sam, which Sam took to get a Pell, or professional educator license. And even if you, you do that route, you can, obviously, she's teaching preschool now. You know, there's a variety of settings that you can actually work in. For the bachelor's degree, we also have the non-licensure track, which Tanya took, those uh, candidates cannot work in the K-12 school districts, but, you know, they can work in childcare settings. And there's a lot of other contexts that they could work in, like museums, libraries, park districts, and social work organizations, lots of different places, actually. A candidate in their cohort actually works as an assessment specialist for a private company that does infant assessment. So there's lots of, there's also different contexts that you could work in, which is really neat about this field. You know, you don't just have to work in like public 12, public schools or childcare centers. So, so we do have those two routes. And with those routes, like Dr. Patterson said, you can, uh, you get the ESL endorsement, you get the gateways credential, you get the um, early childhood SPED approval, and then the professional educator license. And then we offer the early childhood master's program, which is new, and that is hybrid, offered hybrid at night and on the weekends. And it's and part of the time it's online asynchronous. People earn a master's degree with that and professional educator license in early childhood, which is birth through second grade and your early childhood SPED approval as well as Gateway's credential. Let me ask just real quickly about the master's program. What bachelor's degree would you have needed to have before applying for the master's program. You could have a bachelor's degree in anything. You could have like a bachelor's degree in early childhood and you don't have, or child development and you don't have a license. And so you could come back and do that route, but you could also have it. I know someone's doing it who has a bachelor's degree in uh, social work or criminal justice or finance. And they're, they're coming back because they want to be a teacher now. And so this is what you do. You take 40 hours to do all the field work and field experiences that, you know, are required by the state for licensure and, and then you get your license. Right. And most important for those who are working in early child care centers, they can have job embedded experiences so that they don't have to quit their jobs. For some of the experiences. Yeah, for yeah. some of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's really important to mention. I would but, like to know what Dr. Kelly and Dr. Hisrich, what are you most proud of about the programs that you are a part of and that, that you coordinate? 
I'll, I'll go first and I'll let Dr. Kelly add. Well, I really love the faculty in our program. They're really dedicated. We know everything about our students, like personal, like, like we know everything about our students. We really try to support our students because we all talk all the time. And so we really have like an intimate knowledge of our students. And I'm sure Sam and Tanya can also attest to that. So we really, we also, I mean, I really enjoy my relationships with my students. So I, I think that's a really kind of amazing thing that not all universities have. And our faculty are really dedicated also to the field and to their coursework. They want to make sure that our candidates have the content knowledge and have the skills to be a good teacher. So I really like that our faculty is really dedicated to that. And our program is also very it's scaffolded so that, you know, we have foundational courses and then field experiences like that aren't as difficult and challenging that become more challenging as we get closer to student teaching. So they all build on each other, which I think is important. And you know, we offer we do a lot of reflection, like Dr. Kelly said, and analysis, and we talk about good practices. And one thing that we do, some schools, some programs teach to a certain curriculum. And I, I've had a couple of students ask, why don't we do that? We actually feel that it's better to teach research-based practices that can apply to many school districts because school districts vary in their curriculum. And what if our candidates change, move states? We want them to be able to be good educators no matter where they are, or no matter what context they're in, whether they're I mean, I was talking to someone about you, you could be, you know, work at the Shedd Aquarium as a, as a, the learning coordinator there. We want to have a more generalized approach. We teach, you know, certain school models and theories and the idea of curriculum, but we, we wanted to be able to generalize to a lot of different settings and a lot of different areas. So we really teach more like research-based and evidence-based practices. I think that's that's part of what what I'm most proud of is is that we're not training teachers, right? We're not we're not going to train you on how to be a teacher. It, our program is is founded in in good research based practices, like she said, in theory, and and that you can then apply to whatever setting you are in. Another thing that I'm really proud of is our relationships for our field experiences. So our candidates get to have experiences in infant toddler classrooms, preschool classrooms, kindergarten classrooms, and first and second grade classrooms. Like every single candidate goes in every single one of those settings. And we have great relationships with schools and programs in the area. So our candidates get to work where hopefully then they will get jobs, right? In our area, a lot of our candidates then go on to student teach nearby. They get teaching positions nearby. And we've been able to maintain these partnerships during COVID. So our teachers get to have been teaching, our, our field experience candidates have been teaching with cooperating teachers virtually during this time. So it, it's been a really interesting new experience for us all, but what what a great experience to then bring with them when they actually get teaching positions. And now the majority of them through our partnerships, they are given job offers before their student teaching experience even yeah. ends. So that's just really kudos to you, Dr. Hisrich and Dr. Kelly for developing an amazing program. Samantha and Tanya, I cannot tell you how much your commitment and your advice and your honesty has built into this program. I mean, you just don't have a program. You have a community. I think that the majority of emails that I send to our 600 partners are from early childhood. 
even reading with your children and the live reading and the professional development that we offer to teachers. And Dr. Kelly, you've been a big part of that, of offering professional development to community-based organizations in early childhood. And once we lift all these restrictions, we'll get back to that as well. But your program has just been wonderful for the community. It is well known, it serves so many purposes. We can't thank you enough for serving the community and all of its needs. You can certainly go to our website to learn more information. Again, we have an undergraduate program that leads to a professional educator license or one that doesn't lead to a non-PAL, that doesn't lead to a licensure, but they both lead to gateway credentials. And we have the initial master's program. We have the Student Education Association Club and KDP, so the Kappa, whoop, whoop. And so <laughs> just come and have fun with us. So visit our website, visit the club website, email me. I will put you in contact with any of these professionals here and get you on the right path. I have been fascinated with all of this information. And yes, I was one years ago who had a misconception about what early childhood education was, but working with these professionals and having known Samantha and talking to Tanya today, it's really been eye-opening and I've loved having this conversation. Well, thank you so much for having us. We appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Teaching and Learning Theory versus Practice with Dr. Amy Viaclia and Dr. Joy Patterson. We hope that you have been inspired by this conversation and will join us again as we talk about trends in education and perspectives on teaching. We welcome your comments and feedback. What conversations are you interested in hearing? We'll leave it up to you, our listeners. Did theory or practice win the match? I think it was theory probably this time. Uh, practice. Until next time, we're Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.